Welcome back to Far From Perfect. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today I'm talking with my good friend. And oddly enough, probably not oddly, she is part of my beauty counter upline. I love it. And I have to tell you, this is why I love social media. This is why I love the power of connection because I wouldn't know Tara probably if it weren't for beauty counter. But that's an aside. Today, I'm talking to Tara about functional medicine versus conventional medicine because everyone always had a lot of questions about this. You know, right now, everyone's curious as to why they go to their regular practitioner, their family doctor, their PCP, and they'll get results back from their blood work and everything is fine, but they still are feeling off. So we have this conversation with Tara today. Like, what should I be looking for? What sort of tests should I actually be asking for? And can my regular doctor give them to me? Or should I be looking for a functional medicine practitioner? And so we talk about, you know, the advantages. I don't want to say disadvantages, but there are some considerations we need to take when working with a functional medicine doctor. We also talk about burnout, super hot topic, but it's not just work that burns us out, everyone. It's some of these lifestyle factors that we have a lot more control over um, that this you're going to feel empowered to like take your power back. Anyway, Tara is a wealth of information. She loves lifting weights. She loves taking care of herself and her family. And I think you all are going to be inspired by her. Welcome back to Far From Perfect, everyone. I'm here this week with Tara Woodland, and she is a functional medicine nurse practitioner. Tara, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. And in addition to that, so we are both beauty counter, I call it consultants. I don't know what people (laughs) call it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We've been around a while, so I don't know what they call these days either. (laughs) You also homeschool your children. Yep. And you also take care of yourself. Amazing. I try. So how did, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to this place to where you are now a functional medicine nurse practitioner? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short, right? Because I always feel like, you know, when like, let me, when someone like first meets you or whatever, and they're like, well, you know, what do you do? And sometimes you're just like, should I give them the short answer? I know. Or the long or the real answer. Um, But so anyways, I, my beginning stages of being a nurse was a burn ICU nurse. I loved the critical care. I loved the the relationships I'd build with those patients that were in our unit forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I wanted less um, holidays, less weekends. I wanted, we didn't have kids yet, but I wanted more time with my family. Um, so I went back to school and I wanted more. I was kind of at that point where I was like, I'm kind of an expert here. Like I know I'm not challenged anymore. Um, and so I went back to school to get my um, nurse nurse practitioner license, my degree, um, focusing in family because also I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't want to I didn't want to specialize in anything. I wanted to kind of be that jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I pra- I finally graduated from my NP degree or from my NP program um, and went into family practice um, in a in a clinic that was part of a um, system in our area in Minnesota. And I practiced for about five years and I got pregnant with my first son, who's now 10 and kind of through my pregnancy and getting closer to having him and being going to maternity leave. I was like, well, I'm really burned out, Mm -hmm. but hopefully maternity leave will just do the trick. So I 
went on maternity leave and halfway through, I told Lucas, my husband, I was like, I can't go, go back. I can't go back. I was burned out. I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like I was really helping patients. I mean, I know I was, and my patients loved me and I love my patients, but I was like, I can't do this. And so I walked away like completely, like, because as an NP, we have to practice to maintain our licensing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want to do urgent care and I didn't want to do, you know, weekends and holidays to maintain a license that I wasn't in love with. So I walked away and that was when beauty counter kind of fell in my lap. Mm -hmm. Um, so for like nine years, it provided me some income so I could stay home with my kids because we had two more. So three total. Um, but through that time I started doing a little more self-teaching of how do I, help myself be healthier? How do I help my kids be healthier? What can we do from a natural standpoint? How can I address this? And it really just opened that door. And then as I do, um, I was like, well, I want more, like, this isn't, I'm not good at just, you know, not being doing anything with this and not being formally trained. So anyways, I went back into the IFM um, Institute for functional medicine program. That took me about two years fully to go through their course, through their courses um, and get formal training and then certification, um, to get, you know, just some credibility, I guess. Um, I mean, I think that's an important part of, I will say functional medicine, like really anybody can kind of claim a functional medicine practice and some do a very good job at it, but I wanted that credibility, um, from a, you know, a really respected program. Um, so then, that was, I finished that last year and then have been back in clinic since beginning of February, I think it was of 2022. So now or 2023, 2023. I'm like, what year are we in? Yeah. I know. So, I know. Everything's a blur. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, yeah, I'm like my, my youngest is now four. And I was like, but he was just born like a year, no, four years ago. <laughs> so yeah. So that's, yeah. Gotcha. So in your clinic, so are there other functional medicine providers that work with you or is this your clinic? Yeah. So um, there's some like legal aspects to like, how do we practice? And each state runs their own um, kind of criteria for how an NP can practice. Minnesota, it, we live in Wisconsin, like right on the border. But when we first moved to this area, we lived in Minnesota. And so that was where I always was licensed as a nurse, as an NP. So that's where I practice. Um, and I drive about 45 to 55 miles, depending on what clinic I'm in at the, at the day in the day. But, um, I it's myself and another NP Amy Newman. Um, and I was very particular on who I was going to go work with, because again, I think there's a lot of, I don't know how to say it, like bad eggs in the functional medicine realm, just not doing great things and not safely doing things. And so I, I'm very picky, um, in general in life about a lot of things, but who I was aligning myself with and who I was practicing with was of utmost importance and who was going to kind of take me under their wing, understand where I was coming from, you know, because in theory I had, well, you know, I, I first, when I was trying to get my licensed back as an NP in Minnesota, one of the women at the Minnesota state, state board of nursing, I was trying to explain to her, I was like, yeah, I'm going through this program. I'm trying to get my license back, you know, and all this other stuff. And she was, she was older. And she was like, do you really think this is a good idea? And I was like, listen, lady, now game is on. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> idea. Linda. Yeah. Watch me. Watch. Oh, that's me. my favorite. Watch me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her For name you. was Julie. And it, there was this hashtag that was like, the F you, Julie, like I, yeah, 
And now I just want to kind of contact her and be like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it all because, you know, and I'm still resting and I'm still like taking care of myself and protecting my, my brain and my mental health. So I'm doing it. But, um, but so it's me and Amy, um, and just a small, it's just her and I in that clinic. And, um, yeah, it's, so I have like three questions that are for any nurses and nurse practitioners who are currently listening. Yeah. Um, number one, do you recommend the IFM program? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I know there's a couple others and don't, I don't remember names of other programs. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think from like a credibility, right? Like I think this is where I'm still coming from a conventional medicine background and knowledge. Like I don't want to be in the, in the rough, right? Like I don't want to be looked at as a completely crazy person. Right. A lot of people do. I'm, I'm sure of that, but, um, but I wanted to be with a respected program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's some out there that just aren't as respected, but IFM is an extremely incredible program. Um, and I knew at the time when I was reaching out to my friend Kendra and asking her like what programs she had done with her kind of holistic health training and knowledge, she gave me some ideas in the first one. She was like, there's this program in Canada that I'm doing, but you will hate it because it is not organized. And I was like, noted, not doing that one. Um, but she's like, I know for the IFM, you can go and do it as a nurse because at the time I hadn't got my licensing back as an NP. So you can, as a nurse do the IFM program. But the problem at that time for me was I have practiced as an NP. So my scope of practice was in my brain was I can diagnose, I can treat, I can prescribe as an RN. I can't do any of those things. I can do a health coach, which is great, but I think I was going to run into problems with like wanting to do more. So anyways, hundred percent you would. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I would have been a health coach for sure. Yeah. Like I just couldn't do it. I, I knew I would want more. So anyways, um, but you can do it as an RN, um, too. And so, and in that, in that breath, like that role would probably look more like a health coach kind of role. Right. Which is very, like I, I was telling Amy and we've talked about this. We're like, we need one, we need a health coach. We need someone in our practice where, you know, we see them, we help them, we order tests and we kind of get them started. And then someone can sit down and really spend time like developing their plan and, yeah. you know, just diving into the weeds that we can't always Oh, I love that because I I feel the same way. I would put myself more as a health coach, but I can't run the labs, right? I can't describe anything, but I feel like everyone needs both. And yes, everyone. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're definitely spot on. Yeah. Always worry. Um, There's two, two people I worry about the most teachers and nurses, nurse practitioners, anyone in the medical field, because how can they not be burnt out? Yeah. Well, and that's where I think for me. I came in back into this fully aware of that position and being burned out, like mm-hmm. being so unhappy Yes, to the point where it's like, I don't feel like a lot of people know their burnout until they leave it. Right. And then you look back and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. I was really burned out and my sleep suffered. Like I was not sleeping well. I was dreading going back to work. I was, or, you know, waking up Monday morning and going back and not that I hated my job. Like yeah. there's just things I hated about it. Like the, and working in a big system, like it was like, you need to see more patients and do, do more in less time. And it was, you know, all of that, but, um, coming back into this, I was like, I will not let myself, that will not happen, which yeah. means I'm only working one to two days a week. And I know I could do obviously just 
easily add more days because it's not like the, the demand's not there. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't want that because like I told I, and I'm very honest with my patients too, where I'm just like, these are my, like bare, you know, these are my boundaries in a sense. Like I'm only in clinic one to two days a week. Um, I try to be very speedy and responsive to messages and emails and whatnot, but I also homeschool my kids and they're important to me and my family's important to me and my balance is important. So, you know, and they're understanding, like they get it. Um, but I want them to kind of know, like, and when someone said to me today, one of my, or yesterday, one of my patients was like, if you're not happy and healthy, how can you take care of us? And I'm like, exactly. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to, and I was just actually thinking about that last night. I think when I was getting ready for bed, I was like, you know, my patient was like about my age, maybe a little bit younger. And she was like, well, I want someone to help me through like my perimenopausal year. She's a little bit younger, perimenopausal years, menopause. I was like, geez, like she's thinking I'm going to be in this for the next 10 years, you know? And I mean, that's the goal, but I was just like, wow, I got to keep myself, you know, not burned out. Well, I'm glad that you shared that because I feel like women just need to keep hearing more stories of women who have either experienced burnout and how they're setting the boundaries for themselves. Like I can say I am working these days. Yeah. This, this is, this is my boundary so I can protect myself. So I can be in this for the long haul. I mean, it's just like, you know, yeah. your nutrition, you want it to be sustainable, your workouts, you yes. want it to be sustainable. It's Absolutely. all related. It's like that consistency, right? Like the, the term is overused, but it's so, so crucial. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's value, you know, it's the most, one of the most important things to anything um, is just that like not 100% effort a hundred percent of the time, but you know, the effort that you're able to give to keep yourself going because yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm amazing. I mean, well, I am amazing, but I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm the best out there, but I mean, people deserve me mm-hmm. in that capacity, but they deserve me happy and healthy. Yes. Um, and I'm not talking about like my physical health, which also can take a hit, um, of course, but, um, but like mentally healthy and like, you know, excited to show up and excited to do it. So, yeah, and, and our families deserve that too. When I know Absolutely. me, if I get overextended in one area, that's usually the place that takes a hit first. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the safe zone. They're not yeah. going anywhere. No, you're stuck with me. Sorry Poor guys. <laughs> I know. Right. So before we hopped on, we were talking about like the difference between conventional medicine and functional medicine. And I would love for, for you to explain to us, like, what are the labs that a functional medicine practice can offer us that like our regular doctor isn't seeing and and why do we need these, this deeper dive? Yeah. So I think, you know, first and foremost, I think in term terms of like workup, um, what I often will start with, with all my patients and at the clinic, Heather is our kind of, she's kind of the, the jack of all trades. I, I sometimes for patients kind of explain it. Like if we were in like a really small, small town and, you know, Bob was running the gas station, but he also was the, the town doctor. And then he was also like, you know, the, taking care of, you know, the gardens out South, but it, that, but that was Bob, but that's kind of Heather where she right now she's running the front desk. She draws her labs. She, you know, does all this, but uh-huh. she knows like when Tara orders labs, like it is 17 tubes of blood. Um, and it's not to the point where, let me first say too, I think a lot of functional medicine gets a bad rap for being frivolous, um, ordering more than what we need and spending a lot of money, spending a lot of patients money, racking up the bills. Um, but what I will say is I 
think there's a lot of helpful data in that initial blood work that is really basic. Like I'm not running any kind of functional labs. I'm just running a more thorough look. I'm having more thorough look at things. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, that blood work often will look like, um, you know, kidney function, liver function, hemoglobin and the full like white blood cell count, just to cover basis, make sure we're looking at that full picture, full thyroid panel. Um, I'll often do, um, you know, a zinc, a copper, a magnesium. Um, and then there's other things like B12, B6, folate, um, homocysteine, um, just a lot of, and then I kind of tailor it based on what I'm looking at at a patient, but those are a lot of what my patients just get at baseline, um, which anybody can draw. Um, oh, really? Terms, like, so I, on my Instagram at the top, I, I've redone it and pinned it, but it's like labs to consider having done yearly. Um, and it's like all those labs and you, I'll say a person can take them in and request them. Um, sometimes it's not the easiest to have someone do that, um, or have the provider do that. I think one, they're seeing it as frivolous. Um, two, they don't know what to do with the data once they get it. So they don't question. Responsible. Yeah. So they, they don't want to be responsible for it. Um, uh, but I tell, you know, even my patients, I'm like, I tell them not to worry. I will handle it. Like just order the labs, like just, and it's sometimes too, I have a lab order, like they're handing them the order I've written. So it's my order. It's my responsibility. Um, but th- that's some of the pushback I'll see sometimes, but anybody can have these labs drawn, but then it gets down to like, how are you going to interpret it? Right. Who's going to do it. So beyond that though, there, um, is a system that we use at our clinic. There's other like ways to go about this, but we use Rupa. Um, are you familiar with them? Have you mm-hmm. heard of them highly? Okay. So it's like, um, it's owned, it's a private type of company, but they've contracted with a bunch of functional medicine company, lab companies, um, like, uh, mosaic, um, diagnostic solutions. The list is long and wide. Um, and all each of these companies have created labs of various sorts, some mold, some mycotoxin, mycotoxin mold tests, um, Lyme tests, gut tests, um, nutrient tests, neurotransmitters. So we can really just dive into all of this. Um, I think where sometimes like that kickback and that pushback from, I shouldn't say kickback, but pushback from like conventional, the conventional world, they're like, well, the tests aren't deemed, you know, the studies aren't there showing their strengths and, you know, how valuable and valid are the, is the data like, or is it just unreliable, you know, and untrusted, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of these companies I trust, um, when I dove into them, I've used them for a while now. And, um, I have favorites of what I pick from which one, like the gut test, which one I run. And there's a few, but I pick always kind of go back to one. Mm-hmm. Um, but so oftentimes I think, like when I start seeing a patient for the first time, it's usually someone that has exhausted all of the workup through conventional medicine, right? Meaning, which is nice. I mean, I actually do appreciate it because I don't, you know, they can catch some things and at least rule out the big, scary things right away, like a cancer type of diagnosis or, you know, a tumor or a scan, or, you know, just sometimes some things that, you know, once we have all that confirmed that we're not seeing and dealing with, then we can kind of get into the weeds and figure out what's going on. Cause they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that, those extra functional tests kind of shine because, you know, someone with a gut issue, if they've seen conventional, they're usually like, well, they've done blood work. They've tested me for celiac. Maybe they've done a colonoscopy. They've done an endoscopy, you know, they've checked for different things and everything is normal. 
Um, and that's where then I can come in and kind of oftentimes for that case, like run a GI map, looking really at deep, you know, at depth at their gut, um, health and their gut function. And, you know, I had a patient that had that done and she had already, she, she has a strong family history of some, um, autoimmune gut issues. So I went ahead and sent her to GI just to, you know, make sure that we weren't dealing with Crohn's or colitis or anything like that. Right. Like responsible, making sure we're not missing that. Um, and she took the GI map that we ran and the provider was like, I have no idea what this is. I have no idea how to interpret this or read it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it, the patient was kind of shocked. And I was like, I'm not like, yeah, no, just, why would they know that? Yeah, no. And she had a ton of issues on her, on her GI map that we had to address. And yeah. so we did, and we are, and she's feeling a lot better. Um, but it was just kind of eye opening, I think for her, where she was like, why don't they know how to do this? Or why don't they run this? I'm like, good question. Maybe someday, maybe someday we'll see it. Well, you know. So for anyone listening, like what kind of information can you glean from a GI map test that, you know, the regular conventional doctor isn't picking up? Yeah. So, I mean, oftentimes on that specific test, like I said, there's another one called GI effects, which is also amazing. Um, I've used that one a few times and I can't remember off the top of my head, like one has one and one doesn't have it. And then the other one has something else and this one doesn't have it. But I always kind of go back to the GI map. Like that's the one I sit on um, and kind of always um, fall back on. But you're looking at things like um, what we call dysbiosis, right? Uh, Very broad term, but basically where your gut bugs, I always call them like the good guys and the bad guys are just not where they should be. Um, you've got this imbalance between those two. Um, and it can cause a lot of havoc, raise a lot of havoc. And I mean, it can be from like when I did my own GI map, um, it was very evident that I was overtraining. Um, all my good gut bugs were just like in the toilet, um, kind of taking a hit and not so happy. Um, but you know, it could be from years of just poor diet, antibiotic use, you know, just things that kind of take a hit and what I tend to see is as we get older, our bodies just kind of say, oh, I've had enough, like I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, and start rebelling. Uh, so like, that's a big part of it, but it also looks at, um, it looks at some yeast, uh, kind of fungal components in there. It looks at how we're digesting our fats, how we're digesting. Um, it looks, there's a little glimpse into hormone health a little bit in the GI map. There's an enzyme that we pick up um, and can pick up called the beta glucuronidase enzyme. Um, and that gives us a little glimpse into, you know, maybe some estrogen issues. Mm. Um, there's, uh, there's pathogens in there too, like E. coli C. diff. And I always kind of explain it where it's like, that isn't necessarily like the acute infection, right. Where you're vomiting, um, fever, diarrhea, but sometimes after you have something like a norovirus or even pick up something like E. coli on a vacation or, you know, some, at some point you may get over it or Giardia, you may get over it, but that can kind of linger in the gut a little bit, causing just this low level kind of, uh, inflammation in a sense, that's not quite the right term, but just, um, unhappiness in the gut. Yeah. And so there's tools and things that we use. Um, sometimes we'll need to do an antibiotic, um, depending on what we're looking at. Like, and I think that's, you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think that's sometimes where I feel like the power that I have as a licensed NP, I can pull out and write a prescription for an antibiotic. I can, if I need to, right. Mm-hmm. I can write this prescription. I can refill a medication. I can do this. Um, which I think for a lot of patients gives them a lot of peace. Um, because I, I, I kind of say like in, 
in the holistic health world, you've kind of got two spectrums, right? Like you've got one person over here that's like full 100% on board with just crunchy living, right? Like they've got a bidet, they use, a, you know, they've got, I mean, in a bidet is not, but like there's, there's like levels, right? Yes. Of like this, this realm of, of holistic health. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, obviously the, the complete other side that doesn't believe in any of it and just will trust, you know, whatever their doctor says. Um, and then you've got these people in the middle that are just like kind of wavering. And I feel like I, that's my patient, right? Like that's the patient and I have both sides too, but, um, but it's like, they're just like, I die. I want to, I want to do this route, but I also don't want to fully like go off the deep end, you know? So I'm like, I meet people where they're at, but yeah. Yeah. Love that. Well, I want to backtrack just a second because I don't know if everyone realizes that overtraining does have an impact on their gut. So can you just speak to that? Yeah. Um, and I feel it's, it's kind of always funny because when I be my husband and I owned a CrossFit gym for nine years. So I've seen it, I've seen the overtraining, I've seen what's ha- happened to my 40, you know, the 40 year old women, 35 plus where it was like, they were working out, but they're still gaining weight and they're now gaining weight more. And they're just taking this hit. Right. So it's like, for those of us in our forties, like we think we grew up in the time where it was like exercise more, eat less, that will give us the bodies we want. Um, and so it's hard to break that mentally. And you know, this more than anybody in, you know, just as more than me, obviously, but it's mentally hard to get your out of your head that that isn't the answer. So like for me specifically, like I was still crossfitting, you know, six days a week on top of other stuff and just burning it. And my body looked okay. Like I wasn't feeling like I was suffering there, but when I did that GI map, like I could see some damage I could see in on the gut test itself. Like I could, all my good bacteria were, I shouldn't say all of them. A lot of them were low. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just affecting my immune function in my gut. Like my um, there's a test. That's another part of that GI map, like a secretory IGA, which is the immune function of the gut kind of tells us how effective your gut is at fighting off insults. Mm. Mine was low. Um, and then you kind of look at blood work and my reverse T3, which is an inactive form of the T3 hormone in your thyroid was low or excuse me, was high, um, which is often an indicator of kind of stress on that body. Um, so, it, and then you can do some cortisol testing, which also kind of just confirms that picture, but yeah, I mean, it's you, but you need that time to recover. And if you just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it, it's not the answer, um, long-term. And it is so hard to learn. Like, especially if you are, I mean, everyone listening to this is pretty much just like us, right? Hard workers. They're going to go do the thing. You don't need to tell them to go work out. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 I liken it to an addiction, honestly, like it's so hard to stop. Yeah. You see evidence like that. You're like, okay, maybe that isn't the way. Yeah. And I mean, I think some people do need the evidence, right? Like mm-hmm. when I can talk to her blue in the face, but yeah. they need to see the data. They need to see and be proven that it's causing a problem. Yeah. Um, and even then it can be hard. So, I mean, it just, I get it. Like, yeah. Oh, I hundred percent get it. <laughs> I have to learn things the hard way myself. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so t- talking about women in their forties and perimenopause, um, can we have a discussion on HRT and yeah. Think about it. I, I, I love the idea of yeah. it, I, yeah. but I'm not a professional. Um, right. can you just talk uh, about, is that an option for a woman? Should we be looking at this? Do you, no use it? let me ask you, do you use it? I do use you- a little bit of testosterone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not pellets. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Injections. So I think, 
you know, and we could have an, probably an hour long conversation on that. So I'll try to keep this. And so I apologize too, because I know I'm kind of chatty um, and I try not to be, I apologize. But um, HRT, you know, I think a lot of the discussion in terms of harm that it comes from, that comes from it stems back to that women's health initiative study yeah. back in 2000, what was it? 2002. Um, and when it got released, it kind of shut down the world from an HRT perspective. Women stopped being prescribed hormones for the most part. Um, and so basically like two whole generations or a whole generation were just withheld hormones. And so I am a big fan of hormone replacement therapy when it's done correctly, um, meaning the right patient, the right dose, the right medication, um, you know, and the, and the right method of, of using it too. I think, um, it just depends on, you know, various factors, like what you're really trying to address, address what the patient interested in, what they're, you know, what they're able to stick with or do, um, and risk factors and benefits and all of that. But I am a huge fan. Um, you know, I think when the time comes and people need something, it's not just about the symptom control, right? Because I think for years that was kind of the messaging where it was like, oh, hot flashes, you know, yeah, here's some hormones. Um, but we know now that it can help with brain health. It can kind of protect the brain a little bit. It can protect the heart, cardiovascular system. It can protect the bones um, and muscle and just longevity piece. Um, where I'm like, if you're going to tell me that I can, you know, have a better outcome in that respect, I'm in, like, I want to not just live to be a hundred. Like I want to live to whatever decade I live into feeling great, you know, active, healthy mind is clear, you know, that kind of thing. I'm with you. And when you made a great point on your Instagram, like people are so they easily they will prescribe birth control to girls who are 13 years old or however old it blows my mind I'm so glad I don't have a daughter um (laughs) but like why why will you do that but you're not you won't do this right I mean I think it's one of those things where it's like we're and and when I how I explain to my patients I'm like I'm not trying to give you a bunch of hormones to like shoot you through the roof or to give you a level you wouldn't have you know normally I mean obviously in menopause like you're not going to have that 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 level, but we're just trying to give you enough to just mitigate, you know, those symptoms, those, those issues. Um, and so it's like, no, I mean, I would rather go a little bit longer with those hormones in my body, um, you know, and mitigate the effects of quick effects of aging once they drop off. Absolutely. It's a tool. I'm going to use it. If it's going to work, it's the right tool for the job. And like you said, for the right reasons. Right. I mean, and like, for me, you know, with, I'm a, I'm on a little testosterone right now. I just started it a week ago, right, um, but I, try, yeah. I know I'm trying and I'm on some progesterone too. Cause I've done my hormone testing and I've done it several times and I've tried different things. I've tried some Vitex, I've tried some other stuff and it just hasn't been enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it's time, it's time. Like I need to not be as moody <laughs> when that progesterone goes, man, it's nasty. Um, and it's funny because it's like the conventional world. Like I just saw a patient, you know, yesterday or a couple of days ago that she was like, yeah, my provider, I was having so, such anxiety all of a sudden and like moodiness. And so she gave me some antidepressants and I'm like, that's not the problem. Like, it's not just, I mean, there's exceptions. So I never right. want to, you know, say a hard, fast rule, but um, that, that probably isn't the problem. Probably just need some progesterone. You probably just need a little bit of, you know, balancing back out because you're 
on a roller coaster right now, um, hormonally, but yeah. So crazy. I know just a quick aside. I just remember, I just said to my husband, I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know that whatever just came out of my mouth. Like, that was yeah. like not me, but it was yeah. me, but it wasn't me. Okay. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. And it's like, gosh, I just feel bad for those, those men in our lives. <laughs> I know, but it's funny. It's like when patients come in, when women come in, you know, they sit down and if we're talking about hormones, it's like, I can't, they don't even need to talk to me. Like I can tell them what they're about to say to me because I've heard it so many times. And it's, you know, and, and I mean this in like the kindest, most loving way. It's, it's a broken record. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's like, you're, and also I just want always them to know, like, you're not alone. Like you're not alone. This yeah. is completely normal, but we can do something about it. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, hormone therapy aside, what are these other lifestyle factors that you recommend for the women that you work with, you know, to help manage their weight and support their hormone hormones that aren't hormone therapy? Yeah. I mean, and I think you speak to this a lot. So you always like nail it on the head. I think for, as we're getting into these ages, like forties plus, I mean, even younger, but I'll just kind of hit those specifically, you know, it's focusing on a lot of what I call the basics, you know, like the, the monotonous mundane easy, but also not easy because we've got we've been adapted to the fact of like, we have such busy lives that we start to, you know, cut corners on sleep and eating and, you know, the basics. Like I find so many of my women and you see this too, I know aren't eating enough. Um, you know, they're not fueling their bodies. They're not eating, definitely not eating enough protein, um, not getting enough sleep. And that's a bit of a catch 22 because as progesterone drops and hormones, you, your sleep starts to suffer anyways. So it's like a loaded gun, like a up against brick brick wall. But, um, but I think those are some of the biggest things, you know, and, you know, making sure that you're getting enough, you know, fluids, but minerals and just sunlight and all the, you know, the basic things is very important. Um, speaking of fluids and the minerals, how do you feel about like the electrolytes, like the element and whatever, are those? Yeah. Um, I don't want to say they're necessary necessarily, um, (laughs) but I think they can be very helpful. What I tend to find is I have like kind of two types of patients, one that drinks amazing amounts of water or one that doesn't drink any um, or very little, but the ones that are drinking a crap ton of water for lack, you know, a technical term. Yeah. I'm like, you're not doing yourself any favors. Like you're just diluting your body. So that's where I sometimes will come in and be like, add in a packet of electrolytes in a day, um, especially if they're very active, but like stop drinking your 200 ounces of water, like and add, not stop drinking the fluid, but like, let's shift it. And what kind of water are you drinking? I mean, I'm not, this is where sometimes I don't get that like nuanced with everybody. Um, cause it's just not appropriate for every patient. Yeah. But if, if some patients are like, they've done a lot of the work where I'm like, now we get to get into the weeds and like really get nitpicky. I'm like, stop drinking your tap water. You know, like we need some, you know, good sourced water. Cause yes, you're drinking a lot, but it's also not the best quality and you're not really doing your cells any favor. So so interesting. 
Yeah. Like, that's not something that's always on my radar, but I also need to drink more water. So yeah, like, I'm not talk about it. the basics, you know, yeah. like I'll be the first to tell you, I need to drink more water. I need to eat more vegetables. Yep. And I'm like, if I need to do that, I can only imagine what other people need to do. Yeah. But I mean, I think for me too, always my, again, I think this is, you know, being in my forties, I've lived enough of a life in different like swings of, you know, uh, perfectionism and, you know, drasticness where mm-hmm. I've done the strict I've done, like, I won't let myself fall off this and do this way of eating. Um, and now we're living a little bit more balanced life because young kids and busyness, Um, And we just need to, and my peace and my mental health and my happiness. Right. But I think for patients, like oftentimes they will come in and they'll be like, okay, tell me everything I need to do. And I'm like, well, I can, but I also need you to do this for the rest of your life. Right. And I'm like, I don't need you to change all the things at once necessarily. Um, Just work on your protein. Yeah. I don't care what you're doing for your carbs. I don't care what you're doing for your fats right now. Um, We'll figure that out later. Mm-hmm. just make sure you're getting enough protein. Um, and I think it shocks them sometimes because they expect like a complete overhaul and I will gladly do it. But I also know like, if I, if you come back to me in a year, are you still going to be doing that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's like it's counterintuitive. Everyone thinks like, oh, I should change everything at once. But again, for, at 40 years old, we know what yeah. works. I mean, even for yeah. ourselves, I can't say that I'm going to clean every room in my house every single day. Right. But I don't clean any of them now ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's be real. (laughs) Let's be real. So the last thing I want to ask you about, we had this little brief discussion before we started hitting, before I hit record about Hashimoto's, because I was telling Tara, I like see it on every intake form um, that I see come across my desk now. And I just wanted to ask her, like, why, what's the prevalence? Why, why, why am I seeing this increase? So yeah. let's have that discussion. Yeah, I think, and as we chatted, like, I think some of it is we're checking it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more people are actually, you know, becoming more knowledgeable. I think it's the benefit of social media where there's information's at their fingertips. Like it doesn't take much to find information out on the internet and the interwebs. Um, but I think that's part of it. Like we're now checking everybody's thyroid antibodies so we can pick it up sooner. Um, But also, as I was telling you, like, it's complex in the sense when we start thinking of like an autoimmune condition, which is what Hashimoto's is, it's antibodies being developed um, to your thyroid gland, like anti-antibodies. And these antibodies are um, attacking, for lack of a better way to say it, your thyroid gland. And when we talk about these autoimmune conditions... We, we believe that there's a little bit of a predisposition in the sense of like genetic and a trigger and a leaky gut. Mm. So there's usually a gut component, um, which is why a lot of my patients, well, all my patients get screened for gut involvement. Very rarely do I have anybody that doesn't have some kind of digestion issues, not pooping every day or some bloating or, you know, which you shouldn't have any problems really in theory. Um, but those, that tree, that triad is the kind of the autoimmune picture. Mm-hmm. So add in Hashimoto. So now we've got a thyroid antibody happening and 
I think it comes down to some of it, some of the things we've already talked about, right? Like lifestyle, what we've done, how we've burned ourselves out um, for so many years and just not taking the best care of ourselves. And so it's like, that's why like with my young patients, you know, I'm like, just, just trust me. I know like you hear it often probably from your mom, but you know, you just, just take care of yourself. Like, you know, get enough sleep and, and make sure that you're, um, you know, that you're, you know, sleeping well and, you know, eating your protein and, you know, all these things that you don't want to hear at 20, but, um, right. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, like we, we've, we've hit things pretty hard. And I think for us, like, especially at, you know, thirties, forties, like our generations kind of saw, you know, the chemical revolution in the sense of like all like Teflon getting developed when we were kids and, you know, get, getting in, exposed to a lot of these toxins and, you know, artificial dyes and, you know, artificial sweeteners and snack wells, you know, we kind of, li- I live on- just went. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it, you can't just pinpoint necessarily one thing, but I think it does play a role. And then what I was saying to you earlier too, with this is what we see a lot with these, especially Hashimoto's, but other autoimmune conditions that kind of come, and I say this term kind of loosely, but come out of nowhere where it's like, you're fine one day and then not fine. Um, I've seen a lot more too, with like, like illness, like severe illness, like with the COVID illness, people that got pretty sick or some people that weren't even super sick, but got it. I think it was enough of an insult to the immune system, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of blew those doors open. So I, my coworker explained this to a patient one day. And I was like, that is an amazing analogy where it's like, we have these closets, like these immune closets that just kind of are bursting at the seams, right? They're getting filled with like toxins and stress and gut health and genetics. And it's just like, these closets are getting filled. And then all of a sudden something comes in, like even a a major life traumatic stress or a big stressor in the life. Um, and it just blows those doors open. And now all of a sudden here's Hashimoto's just plugging along. Um, so I think it's complex. There's not just one thing, but it's a multitude of things, but that's kind of like a, a little bit of a glimpse into kind of what we believe to be the insult to injury. Well, and then like, speaking of COVID, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday because I think that, and tell me, you see people every day or, you know, once a week, (laughs) however you're talking to your clients, patients. I feel like we are in this, we have PTSD from COVID. Whether, I mean, it didn't, to me, COVID years were great. Yeah. To be honest with you. I, I'm an introvert. I thrived. It was great for my business, but yeah. still my life, I'm a different person now. And yeah. it was hard on a lot of people. And I just feel like it's probably impacting people more than they realize. So when you think about these closets getting full, you don't yeah. realize your deodorant you're putting on every day and then the yeah. fragrances and the candles. And I yeah. mean, it's just, yeah. like you said, just pile, pile on top. Yeah, it Are is. You, do you think there's a long-term impact of COVID? Not just long COVID, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, I really think so. And I think it varies. And I think obviously this conversation is very polarized. Um, like we've got people that don't believe COVID even existed, um, that it was, you know, so I try to kind of, I always, someone, I mean, this is a well-known statement, but I think, um, you know, I've heard in the past and I just hung on to this where I'm like, I feel like the truth is often in the gray area um, with a lot of things. So I just kind of live there. Um, where I'm like, well, it could be the case or I don't know. We'll just kind of keep chugging along, living my happy life. Um, but anyways, I think so. And I think, you know, just the, yeah, the isolation that a lot of, a lot of people had and just from a mental health standpoint and a health standpoint and an immune standpoint, and just, I don't know, we'll just see what, I don't know. I think so. I think we'll see a lot. Um, And either way, like 
all the more reason to like take control of your health because that's yeah. the only thing that's going to help us doing everything that you talked about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. I think in the end, like we, a lot, it forced, I do see a lot of patients too, where they're like, yeah, it kind of opened my eyes to some things like, you know, how the healthcare system works and how, you know, how we, you know, operate. And I was like, yep. Yep. You know, I'm glad you're here. Glad now. you're here. Glad you yeah. made it. Glad you made it. Glad you're here. You know, now, and they just started questioning things like that, you know, they just, I think that's how it starts for a lot of people where they're like, it just made me go, Hmm, (laughs) you know, and maybe I should look at this a little differently or kind of address my health from a different perspective, um, and take a little more ownership on it. So all for that. I know that I always say that's my healthcare plan is just owning it. Yeah. I, and I often, I often will, uh, most of my patients will get asked, like, like even just yesterday, one specifically, I was like, what do you think's going on? You know, like, uh, what do you think? Like, and I, I tell them if they don't really know me, I'm like, I'm not asking because I don't have a clue um, <laughs> or I don't know what I'm doing, but I, there's so much empowerment. And like, we, like I shared in my stories um, this morning, it was like, you know, this meme that was like, the doctor says, well, you know, don't confuse your Google search with my degree. And the, and then the patient goes, well, don't confuse my 10 years of living with this disease to your one hour lecture, um, on this disease. And I'm like, it's so true. Like I, you know, I, a patient's there because they aren't the expert fully on everything and they need some help, but they also are the expert. Like they, they know a lot. Um, and I do believe a lot in intuition, um, and kind of that, I'll say that gut feeling, right? Like, this is what I think. And then that allows me to kind of get an insight into their brain and what their, what their mind is thinking, um, to kind of either a reassure them, you know, like yesterday I had this nurse as a patient and she's, she knows a lot. Right. And she's like, I'm afraid I have cancer and I'm afraid I have this and I'm afraid of this. And I'm afraid of that. Nurses know too much. (laughs) I know. And I was like, and she, at the end, she's like, you know what? Just felt really good to get that off my shoulders and say it and just not be, you know, mm-hmm. afraid to say it. And I'm just, that's, yeah, I just want, you know, I want to address people's concerns. And I think that empowerment there is so important for people. Absolutely. Oh man, your patients are so lucky. So you're licensed in two States right now, right? Right now. Yeah. Wisconsin and Minnesota. And I'm working on my Iowa license. Um, it's just like, as we chatted at the beginning, it's just a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. Um, so hopefully right now you're there you are I mean and you got three kids and you're I mean you're taking care of yourself so I know I know so many times people like on my social media my social media friends um they're like when are you gonna get licensed in Georgia when are you gonna get licensed in Colorado and I'm like I know I know I know maybe someday well and some of it's like I can't practice independently in every state because of state regulations and so it's not really useful for me to get a license there because I can't do anything anyways um but yeah so Someday. Well, and but I just learned from you. Like I, I can't use you, but I can still learn from you on social media. Yeah. What? Where can we find you, Tara? Um, Tara Woodland under was it underscores? That's what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those things. <laughs> FNP. <laughs> Love it. I'll make sure everyone has access to that. <laughs> I am so grateful for your time, the stories that you shared. You're the best. Thanks. Sorry for all my tangents. I love the tangents. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tara, talk to you soon. All right. Bye.
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And I'm going to say that Beauty Counter is today's sponsor since Tara and I are both Beauty Counter consultants. And if you missed our site-wide sale, have no fear because I got an email this morning saying that we're going to have another like winter clearing before we get, you know, the new products in for the new year. So next week, depending on when you listen to this, um, check out my beauty counter site, beautycounter.com slash Kylie Larson for an amazing end of the year deal. As always, thank you for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.